Good evening. The calm Christian again. About to bite off a topic that makes me less than calm. So I've been telling you that we need to respect each other's boundaries, each other's interpretations, and each other's ways of thinking if we're Christians, if we're unified in Christ. But I'm about to talk about something that makes me a little bit animated and passionate. Let's see if I actually take my own advice. Really, I'm applying law to myself and grace to others. I'm speaking to a phone right now, but I'm assuming that this might go to some other human beings, other souls who are also searching for Jesus, for a relationship, for other-centeredness. Jesus was relational, not informational. But he was informational, that was second. He knew his scriptures, he probably memorized the whole Bible. Probably memorized the whole uh, Old Testament, the whole Torah. I think Paul memorized the whole Torah because when he quotes the New Testament, he actually quotes, when he writes the New Testament, sorry, he, he quotes from the Old Testament. Like I can't imagine him saying, oh, I forgot what I said here. Or I forgot this verse. I think he just had it at his memory. Of course, he was Jewish, so he was like, probably had a very high IQ. Jesus too, he's the son of God. Maybe Solomon was the second smartest guy in the world. Maybe Jesus was first. Jesus was emotionally intelligent and he was probably IQ intelligent as well. Definitely left, left brain. Right brain is the priority number one. Left brain is second, a distant second. But I think Jesus was really a genius. He's Jewish. Anyways, I'd like to talk to you about the rapture versus the non-rapture. So I'll read some verses and I'll tell you why. So in Acts 1 verses 11, they're looking up. Jesus has disappeared. He's being taken from them. I'm sure they're very sad or they think he's coming back very shortly, like in a couple of days. And the, somehow these two guys, two guys show up who are in white, dazzling messengers of God, real angels. And they say, verse, Acts 1 verse 11, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus has been taken up. Maybe they expect him to come back in a couple of days. So let's get the church going or let's see what we're to do next because our our beloved one, the Holy One of Israel is gone. And I guess we're, we got to manage the church now. And they have no idea what to do because I guess they go home and what are they waiting for now? 40 days, 50 days. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Just kind of wait around. Something is about to happen. Maybe they thought he was coming back. I don't know. I don't presume to know. And then you have, so the angel said, he's coming back. But they've said, why are you standing up there? Get a move on. You got stuff to do. Revelation 1 verses 7. The book of Revelation is the book about Jesus or from Jesus or both. John writes it, but he says people are appearing to him. But it seems Jesus is also talking to him as well. 
it says, John says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. And they also who pierced him. Wow. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I think amen means let it be so. Don't quote me on that. So John seems to be saying the exact opposite of what happened in Acts 111. Okay? So here's my setup. So when I was young and in the other place, I only heard about Jesus coming, the second coming. Jesus comes, second coming. It's over. Earth's history has come to a shattering end. It's it's it. That's it. Whenever it happens, that's it. Right? And I believed, I believed, and I think people believe that Revelation 19 verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And I have a title in my New King James, which is the second coming of Christ. So I believed that Revelation 19 verse 11 and Revelation 1 7 are the exact same thing. Now, all of a sudden, when I'm 20 years old or 30 years old, and I'm in a Bible study with Christians, people who are primarily of the Baptist denomination, I start hearing something else. I start hearing this rapture word. What is this? And I don't, I don't know where this word came from. What is this? I've never seen the word rapture in the Bible view. And the, the, the feeling is, um, some guy named Tim LaHaye, some Baptist, some evangelical pastor writes this book about this doctrine. So this is like in, in the book, and I never read the series. I heard it was a best-selling, the Left Behind series. So a pilot is driving a plane. The pilot is supposedly a Christian, and he disappears out of that seat. And apparently he's driving around a lot of pagans and heathens or something, because all of a sudden there's no, there's no pilot, and they're all going to crash into the mountainside. I'm sorry, that just was way over the top for me. But he writes this series. He's a pastor. I have no reason to believe he's a bad person. And it's apparently a bestseller with Christians. But where did this rapture thing come? Is the rapture the second coming? Because it seems that what I thought was the second coming was a public demonstration. Jesus comes in the clouds and everybody sees him. The good guys, the bad guys, everybody, the bad people, um, Fox News, CNN, whatever. But the obvious in this rapture thing says that, oh, some people are going to disappear. It's a quiet kind of thing. And Earth's history is going to go on. So if you got snatched away, are you a Christian? Or did you make the cut? And maybe there are other Christians on Earth, but they're not Christians right now. And then Earth has got to have some tribulation where all the bad people are going to suffer. And then what happens? And then I guess then after the bad people suffer, the Antichrist shows up. What, what's he going to do? He's going to rule over the bad people and they're going to suffer. Like, are there Christians who become Christians through the suffering? Are there proto-Christians walking around? They didn't make the first cut, but they're going to get out. So all the so the rest of the good people in Revelation 19, 11, um, when Jesus comes back again the second time, like publicly. Do you know what I mean? So there's like two comings of Jesus. One is something private where people get yanked out of the world. You don't see they get like teleported out of the world. They're there and then they're gone. Like you go to somebody's house, it's like, oh, Harry and Bob, I haven't seen them in church. Or I think these people are like Christian people. Hey, they're not there anymore. 
Where did they go? Did they get killed? What happened? Where are they? Nobody knows. It happens worldwide. And I'm sorry, but um, now remember something. I have been preaching to you about respect. So I must respect this because maybe I have been taught something that is not complete by the second coming only and this pre this rapture thing, this yanking out of the world. Maybe this is the complete truth. Where did this come from? So as I understand, somebody named John Darby, he was a Christian preacher, evangel evangelical or something. They call him the father of dispensationalism, I think. It could be him. Around 1840s, he comes up with this word, this rapture, this, this teaching. And I hear different things. I heard different things. This is an evil teaching or this is the truth. And where did this word come from? And it says here, I don't really know, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, there's something about, let me just see. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, is it 4.14? So somewhere in 1 Thessalonians 4, there's a word in here. So it says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we were to alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh yes, verse 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Caught. So apparently what was told is that this word caught in the Greek is some kind of word called harpazio, which means to snatch away violently. That's, that's the Greek word. You're just snatched away. So John Darby looks at this and he goes, he, sa he, he must say th two things, and I don't know. This means a snatch away, it's a violent snatch away, and it's something private and secretive. Nobody sees it. It's like somebody coming into your house and violently snatching away your stuff, and you don't know it till you get up the next morning. Hey, there's, some, there's something missing here. So there's a snatch away, then the Antichrist comes. Then finally Jesus comes in Revelation 19. Okay? I was told, so 1 Thessalonians 4, this verse, and 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it's 51 to 53, I'm not looking at it, is you shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's a proof text for this private snatch away thing. So there's a, some kind of pre-coming snatch away that Jesus does. And where do you go? You, you're, you're going to be with Jesus. Wherever he is right now, you're snatched away to heaven, somewhere else. You're not on earth. Nobody can find you. You haven't been murdered. We don't find the body. You've just disappeared like Jimmy Hoffa. And of course, in the, in the Bible study, of course, I meet somebody I call. I'm not going to use his name. I call him my Baptist mentor. Because he's a very sweet man. About 72 years old right now. Very sweet man. My Baptist mentor. So, but I was told that when Jesus, <clears throat> but when I was taught and I assumed, okay, this is my assumption, that 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 and Revelation 1-7 
and Revelation 19.11 is the same event. It's the second coming. That's it. It's a snatch away, but it's a private thing. It's like somebody walking up to you um, in New York Times Square and you're holding on to your kid and someone comes and tries to snatch your kid away from you violently, but everybody can see what's happening. Everybody turns, hey, that guy's trying to take some kid away from that other guy. Hey, let's go get that dude. It's a snatch away. It's the same thing. So Harpazio for First Thessalonians 4, it means snatch away, but it's not a private secret thing. It's a public thing. So now all of a sudden, I'm faced with two things. And of course, you always kind of deflect back to what you were taught. What I'm taught makes sense to me. Your rapture thing is stupid. Then I run into my Baptist mentor, and he's got this rapture thing happening, and he doesn't believe in what I'm saying. I wasn't taught this. I didn't hear this rapture word. I don't think it's credible. I don't think it's legitimate. So now we start fighting about who's got the truth. Bottom line is, one of us thinks that we've got one has exegesis. I've got the truth, and the other thinks the other guy has eisegesis. You've got something that's wrong. It's your interpretation. But we both think we've got the truth and the other guy's got something weird. Wait a second, maybe maybe that's true. Maybe I'm the one who was taught something wrong. Maybe, maybe my Baptist mentor was. We've got two things here. We've got two theories. Which one is it? Do we need to know? Do we need to argue about it? Of course, we're guys, we're gonna argue. Is it worth breaking our relationship? Is it worth fighting about? Is it worth disrespecting? Am I trying to take away your theory and impose my thinking on you? I don't want to do that. I'm just trying to give you what I think is the truth, but you're doing the very same thing. Now we're at an impasse. We can't agree. We're friends, but we're, we're, we're in a battle. We're, we're kind of in a, in a mano y mano, um, I'm against you kind of thing. I'm working for Jesus. Jesus gave me the right interpretation. Yours is messed up. I'm 100% right and you're 100% wrong. He feels the same way, but we're friends. We're friends. Finally, he says to me, okay, you know what? Here's the thing. Because he's an older, more mature man. And he's a kind man. He was a little bit hot and fiery and temper when I met him. But the years have a way of making you wise and tempering you down. You don't have time to fight. He says to me, you know, in the Christian church, we have to keep things in abeyance. And he holds up his hands like he's holding two bowls. What I think he's trying to say is, okay, we've got option A and option B. He thinks option A, his, his bowl is correct. I've, he's got my option B. So he says, we have to keep things in abeyance. Don't we have to? Don't we have to disagree in love? Isn't that what Christianity is all about? I don't have to smash you over the head, step on you to be right. I need to put you, I need to project you up. I value you because we're unified in Christ, not in our doctrines. My Baptist mentor is not unified in um, um, Jesus coming uh, second invisible um, snatch away. I'm not, I'm not unified in the second coming. I think it's an easier doctrine. It's way more simple and um, end to end, like I just think it's way simpler. Jesus left publicly and he's coming back publicly. The bookends of the Christian history. 
He left, Christian history started, even though it's the same God our Father that we serve both in the New and the Old Testament, and God is love, 1 John 4, 8, and now the bookend, he's going to come and that's the end of Christian history. It's in the future, it's going to come. So my Baptist mentor says, let's keep it in abeyance. Let's be friends. We love Jesus, we can forgive each other, we can work together, we can compromise and move forward. We can trust in God, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We can pray, and when it comes time, God will show us which bowl is correct and which bowl is not. You don't have to give away your bowl. If you think your bowl is correct, keep the bowl. Just kind of, you know, you kind of, you don't clutch it to you, you kind of lightly hold both bowls over your head. Jesus is the one who gave us the words. The truth is somewhere between the two. Isn't that a better way to live? So the thing is that if the rapture is true, the rapture happens, then the Antichrist happens in Revelation 13, then Jesus comes back in Revelation 19. Or there is no rapture and it's just the Antichrist shows up. We're all still stuck here, good and bad, Christian, proto-Christian, evil person, some may, people may suffer, some people may live, some Christians may be persecuted, I'm sorry to say, I can't guarantee you anything. You don't get any guarantees in the Christian church, you're guaranteed of salvation, but this world is kind of dicey. It's di dicey for everybody, but God may allow you to be persecuted. And then finally, Jesus Christ comes back. Game over for everybody. Do we need to fight about it? My, my friend and I came to the conclusion, and we love each other, we joke around. He said, you know, if the rapture happens and we're both in the rapture, he says, when we get to heaven, I'm going to hit you in the head with a two by four. <laughs> he would never do that. He's joking around with me. So please don't get like, oh no, there's violence going on in the Christian group. We love each other. We're friends. We're Christian brothers. We can't agree on information. We must agree on relationship, other-centeredness, forgiveness, and, hey, brother, I respect you. That's Christianity. That's Jesus. That's what we should be doing. We're disciples of Jesus. We're not supposed to fight each other and hammer each other because that's what the disciples did. I'm better than you are. I got more people than you. I'm a, I witness stuff. Jesus comes along and says, what you talking about? What's going on? What's happening here? Why are you guys, what are, you, what are you guys talking about? He knows what's going on. You think Jesus is dumb? He asks people rhetorical questions. He already knows the answer. He wants to see if they can go higher. So Mr. Crawford's, I'm um, sorry, used his name. My Baptist mentor, you will disregard that name. I just used that. I just threw, threw you off. I meant to do that. My Baptist mentor says to me, I'm going to hit you in the head with a two by four. I say, you know what? Whack away. Because I won't care. I'm glad I'm there. I'm glad Jesus took me. And I won't feel pain anyways. He laughs. And then he says, if you're right and there is no rapture and we the second coming dawns on both of us and we're still here, well, then we're going to be taken up. And he says, you can hit me in the head with a two by four. I said, I will gladly do that. Because you know why? I'll be glad that my Christian brother and I are going to meet our Savior. 
That's being other-centered, my friends. I don't know if the Antichrist comes first. Because if he comes first and we're all here, if you believe in one option that there's going to be a rapture, what if you miss it? What if you didn't make the cut? What if you have decisions and protocol that you've decided if option A is true, but it's really option B, the Antichrist is here, there's no... You're going to make bad decisions. If you can't be humble and admit you might be wrong or you might be 50% wrong or the truth is halfway what you think. If you've decided on option A, bowl A, and bowl B is what the reality, but you are going to do decisions based on bowl A and bowl A doesn't exist, you're going to make bad decisions. Same thing with bowl, bowl B you've decided, bowl B never happens. The rapture does occur. You're not even ready. You don't, you don't make the cut. You never make the cut. You don't know what's happened. You don't know what's going on. Because maybe some people figure, well, when I see a bunch of Christians disappear, then I'll get serious. Okay, I'm not sure about the whole Jesus thing. I got stuff to do right now. But when I see that happen, when I see a, a mass disappearance of people that I think were Christians, like my uh, two guys that I knew that went to church every Sunday, when I see them disappear, I know it's time to get serious. No more fooling around. That's not a good way to live. That's not a good way to live. You know, the Jehovah's Witness, they got their own perusa going on. Like in 1915 or 1916, Jesus came. Like they keep making up dates too. Why are you doing that? Or here was another one for the rapture. I really didn't get this. Somehow the church is not mentioned between Revelation 6 and Revelation 18. So that's a proof that the church is not there. I'm sorry, folks. I am all about respect. But if you're going to have a different option, it has to be credible and legitimate. That does not carry the burden of proof. If I were a lawyer, okay, if I were a left brain person like the church I used to be in, and I would say, you have a hermeneutic, a, a, an, an idea about something based on the, the non-mentioning of the church, you think that's a proof? I would have to mock you because before I would do that, I'm trying to get it right. And I would say, that's, that's a weak, that's a weak. That doesn't even have legs to stand on. There's plenty of Christians who absolutely destroy other people thinking that they're doing right. And they will, they know all these logic things about straw man fallacy and different logical arguments. And they would absolutely destroy that. And I don't have any desire to step on the head and crush somebody else who says they're a Jesus follower. What about this? Oh, you got to be like a lawyer to figure out the Bible. God never said that. He never said that you have to know every I and every T and you've got to memorize. God never, God never said that. Jesus said the prostitutes are being saved. That many people are being saved. That they're witnessing and they know that he's the savior. They didn't even have a Bible to read. But they knew that he was the king. They knew he was relational. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was the son of David. They knew he was the one. Maybe they thought that he wasn't, there wasn't going to be a cross. But they believed that he was the Messiah. And maybe he got killed and maybe they weren't sure. And then he rose and he disappeared. And they said, you know what? There's no way that a bunch of fishermen could have stole a body. He's got to be the one. 
that was promised. I didn't see Jesus rise from the from the tomb, did you? But I don't believe the Bible lies to me. I don't believe that Jesus Jesus bar Joseph, the man in the Bible, lied to me. He said, Verily, verily I say unto you, they never found the body. Even his enemies wrote that he had power. Now I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, Yeshua HaMashiach, the one at the right hand of God right now, listening, listening to me as I do a podcast about him. He's with you right now, even though I don't know you. In my humanness, I can never know you. I may meet you in the world made new. You could say to me, hey, calm Christian, who are you? I was listening to you. I liked what you said. I agreed with you and I disagreed with you in some things. I'll be so happy that somebody was encouraged by what I said. Who am I? I think this podcast is not about trying to prove or disprove the rapture or trying to prove that Jesus comes only once. It's about people loving each other being encouraged to have open dialogue and think, but at the same time saying they're unified in Christ and the relationship, the right brainness of God, the other centeredness of God. They want to return that back to God. They want to love God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their might. That's the Shema. That's Deuteronomy 6, 46. And that's Mark 12, 29 to 31. That's the God we serve. He wants you to get it right. He'll help you. But if you don't get it right, God doesn't hate you. But if people say, well, I don't know what it is, so I'm not even going to bother to read the scriptures. I don't care. I don't think that's something you want to say to God. Maybe the people in the, in the first century who had no Bible, they can't say that to God. They don't have anything to read. But anything that was read to them, they loved it. They doted on God's word. I don't worship the Bible. The Bible says that it's the inspired word of God. All of it from Genesis 1, 1, all the way to, let me see, all the way to Revelation, Revelation, uh, let's see what I got here. Revelation 22 verses, what's the final, what's the final chapter in the Bible? Revelation 22, 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Isn't that sweet? The sweetness of God is with you so that you can be the sweetness of God to him. God hears your prayers. When you speak to your heavenly father, they're like a sweet balm to his nostrils. Isn't that sweet? God loves you. We say this to people so much, they don't believe it anymore. I believe it. I feel it. I know it's true. Jesus Christ would never lie to me. He never lied to anybody. He told the truth and he suffered for it. And that's why I know it's the truth. In this world, this world, this world likes lies. But when you tell the truth, people don't like it. But I know it's the truth. I know he's the one. And he through his servants and through God our Father have told us what's going to happen. But if we don't quite get it right, it's okay. We still can be friends with each other. 
But if the words of scripture have been given to us and people have died to give us the Bible, they died. They, they, they studied it by candlelight. They tore little chips of it off and put it in and gave it to people trying to witness. If people have died for this word, isn't it worth at least a one through read through? Just so you can at least spend a little of your time with God, with God's word. Did I tell you this before? It was told to me that the Bible is the only book where when you read it, the author is sitting right next to you. Don't you want that? Don't you want God to help you, to live with you, to love you, to walk next to you, to live in you, to guide you, to go before you? You think it's just making it up? It's all made up story? Would people make up a story about a cross, about a guy getting killed, being like an underdog and rising from the dead? Would they start a movement like this in the very embryo, the very cradle of the place that hates Jesus Christ? Why start up a story like this? Why, why, why say a story where you get killed? Oh, well, the, 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 the apostles were good guys. They were well-meaning, but they said so they, well, they believed a lie and they died for the lie. That's possible, I guess, if you think something is a lie and you're willing to kill, your, you're willing to kill yourself or you're willing to die for it. But they, could, they had a chance to opt out. They had a chance to say, you know what? We, I'll just, I'll, I, I, I won't say that Jesus is the Messiah. Hey, you know what? I'll just, I'll just say that he's not the Messiah. Then I'll walk away and I'll continue to believe it privately. They refused to do that. How come Daniel, how come Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though they were in the Old Testament, how come that God was worth standing up for. All those people, Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, okay, everybody. Okay, when I play the music now, okay, this is corporate religion. Y'all gonna bow down to the statue about, it's all about me, 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 me. It's all about we, actually. You guys are gonna worship me when I tell you to. Those three guys, they could have just checked their shoes. Hey, I gotta tie my shoelaces. Well, you guys got sandals. It doesn't matter. I'll just look down. I'll just bow down. I'll just bow at the right time. How come they didn't do that? Why was God worth standing up for and worth risking? You're about to be burned to a crisp like a chicken filet. What kind of power is that where people die for something they haven't seen or something by faith? What kind of freaking power is that? Okay, people fly planes into buildings and they die for something that's evil and bad. God never asked people to do wickedness to other people. And if there's stuff in the Old Testament you're not sure about, remember something. If you liked Billy Graham, I don't know what it was, but something, something about the scriptures, parts of the scriptures bothered him. And it was said that he got on his knees and he said, Lord, I can't understand all of the Bible, but on faith, I'm going to take it all as your word. I'm going to trust you. I don't know if the rapture is true or if the second coming is true. I don't know for sure and I don't need to know. 
one of them is true or the truth is halfway between both. What I do know is Jesus is coming for his children because he's going to take his children to God, our Father. And I'd like to be in that group. And I'd like you to be there too. And my Baptist mentor as well. But that's a decision I don't have control over. You do. Open the door to your heart to the Father and His Messiah. They want to come in and dine with you. They want to give you the bread that never allows you to be hungry again and the wine and the water that's living. You will never thirst for the world ever again. God bless you all.